0: Hi, and welcome to the Cyber Podcast. I am your host, Christoph Limpler, And in today's episode, I'm joined by Matt Trossel, who is a cybersecurity incident response team lead at GM Financial. He's been leading the team for about four and a half years. And prior to that, he was a security engineer at Axum. But even before that, he was a web administrator at, at a university. Now, in this episode, we talk about what it's like to be an in incident response, and we also get career advice for anyone interested in this career path. So Matt, I'm really excited to have you on the
1: show today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Chris. Um, uh, just to start off, uh, I do have to say the obligatory language, right? Um, anything, <laughs> anything I say here are, are the views of myself and opinions of myself and not necessarily of my employer. So. We,
0: we won't hold any of it against you, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in the pre-interview, you did share some fascinating stories of what it's like to be an incident response. So I wanted to start the episode there with some of those stories and then move on to talk about career advice, because I want to get people excited about what it means to be an incident response, to be on the blue team side. And I feel like those stories can really help get some entry-level students or people that are mid-career looking to transition into this field very excited about what it means to be in this field. So let's start off the episode by even describing what you do. What is a cybersecurity incident response team lead?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, as a lead, uh, a lot of what I'm doing is mentoring uh, folks that are coming in that may be a little greener into the incident response team. But even um, more than that, right? Uh, we are monitoring the network. Um, we are monitoring systems. We're monitoring anything and everything inside the enterprise. And we're we're looking for attacks, theft, all sorts of stuff, right? So uh the job can can be a little repetitive at times but i i think we might get to that at some point uh it it's it's better than what it sounds i don't know can we redo that is there like a word i can say no, <laughs> no, no. i mean we we i think repetitive but also
0: i know you're going to mention a little bit of using different scripting tools and things like that like even python oh, right okay. where you can automate some of the tasks and and uh and, and i think that's a big part of the job and also some of the skill sets that we'll talk about but you you actually bring up something interesting which is and i know this this question's very hard to answer because i don't i know some even you mentioned repetitive i know some jobs can be extremely repetitive day to day but what does a typical day in your in your job look like is there a set template of what that looks like
1: yeah okay so a typical day for me, right, is we, we come into the office or virtually now, right, um, and we're monitoring the network for attacks or we're monitoring the network for potential um, data loss, anything along those lines, right? Uh, but even beyond that, um, a lot of what we're doing is engineering work. Uh, so we might be writing code, developing systems to make our lives easier, uh, to automate defenses, we're writing new detections in different uh, query languages, or uh, like Snort, Suricata signatures—you know, things like that. Uh, where where we're trying to detect new and novel techniques uh, for attacks on the network.
0: So you would say that that's your typical day to day. So there's some engineering work, trying to detect, monitor, make sure things aren't being broken into. Yeah. And you mentioned that sometimes, though, attacks come in, and so you might have to respond to that. So what would you describe your not-so-typical days, right? We talk about what the typical day looks like, but can you share some stories of maybe a time when you were sipping your coffee, I don't know, right? You, you come into the to work, you're expecting a normal day, nothing crazy is supposed to happen. And then all of a sudden some of the alarms go off and maybe your adrenaline starts to kick in. Can you share a couple stories of stories of when that's happened and, and what was the end result
1: of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the one of me- recent memory, right? And you always want the day to be uh, not exciting, right? Uh, so that means <laughs> you're doing your job well or or terribly i guess it really depends but um, <laughs> uh yeah so uh, one of the recent ones this was probably oh gosh i lose track of time these days but maybe a year and a half two years ago um we're sitting there and we get the report of or an alert of some su- suspicious PowerShell um running on a system right and we go we check it out and i'm looking in this this um into the alert details. And what I find is that there is some um, obfuscation going on. And this is a technique where, where attackers try to circumvent um, things like antivirus or endpoint detection uh, tooling. They kind of try to hide their attack so it's harder to detect, right? So they obfuscate it. And the nice thing about that is when you see obfuscation, uh, that is usually a pretty good indicator that it is an attack. Or, um, mm-hmm. or a vendor that really wants to keep their stuff secret. So, <laughs> uh, I go through this process of deobfuscating it, um, and as I'm doing that, I end up finding uh, characters that you normally wouldn't see, um, you know, in different languages. And then we kind of start deobfuscating that more, and we start seeing that it's pulling something down from the internet. It's trying to compile its own binary and launch that binary, all the telltale signs of malware, right? And so that's not a typical day, right? Uh, here here I am looking at it going, okay, this is bad. We caught something. The first step once you've identified uh, something malicious or a machine that maybe uh, is potentially compromised is what's the blast radius, right? What else has maybe uh, been caught up in this mess? And I'll this day I will never forget because I started triaging that and I started noticing, you know, it's on another system here. That's on another system here. It's on another Ooh, system. That's not here. A good sign. Yeah. And before I knew it, right. I'm, and this was early on in my career. So I guess it would have been probably closer to four years ago. Now that I'm doing the math pro tip, <laughs> you don't have to be good at math to be a good instant response. <laughs> hey, that's, that's a good point to make. <laughs> um, as i'm looking at this more and more and realizing that you know maybe there's a couple dozen machines that have been popped i start panicking right and uh i go into into my leader's office my you know executive's office or whatever you want to call him director leader and i tell him like hey you know that retainer we have with that that really big security firm i think it's time we give them a call because we're in, we're in deep, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you know, the next hours, it's all a little bit of a blur, to be honest. It's, you know, me feeding them all the details that I can, um, what the possible defense is, how can we root it out of the network, all of this, right? And um, come to find out uh, right before uh, we we decide to pull the trigger right before I, um, yeah, basically right before I decided to say, Hey, we need to pull the trigger. Let's call in, you know, let's call in the cavalry to get some help here. Let's call the FBI. Let's make sure that we're, we're handling this correctly. It ends up being a red team assessment. <laughs> <laughs> so th- were you, were you, relieved in that
0: exact instance you found out? Were you frustrated? Like what was what was the first thing that went yeah, through your mind? Yeah, it a bag
1: of mixed emotions, right? Um, there's, <laughs> there's this relief that, okay, it's a sanctioned assessment. Nothing bad is going to be happening here. But then at the same time, you're like a little bummed that it wasn't um, mm-hmm. real. But when you encounter a red team, like, like we did at the time, that uses techniques and tactics like an actual attacker would, uh, and an actual attacker would, it's so much more fun, right? So um, it, it was like a light bulb moment for me that, hey, this is, this is how blue teams should be trained, right? This is how a C-cert should be trained um, because we've got to get used to that, that panic response and working well under the pressure like that.
0: Absolutely. There's no better way to train for it than the actual or or something that mimics as closely as possible what a real attack would look like because then you can figure out the holes in your processes, the holes in your defenses and security and and find a better way to handle that and also find a better way to manage your own adrenaline, your own rush that kicks in and and make sure you have all your your ducks lined up in a row. So I, I think that's I think that's uh, and you know you mentioned this is not your your day to day and and obviously you wouldn't want it to be your day to day because otherwise something's definitely very wrong, but at the same time I think that's such a, a great example of of um, what blue team can mean and and so you mentioned the blue team you mentioned the red team I think most people listening probably know what that means but just in case they they don't would you mind just explaining a little bit briefly what it means to be on the blue team versus red team and then. What it means to go up against the red team, yeah, like in sure. your case.
1: So um, I'll start off by saying you want to be on the blue team, um, selfishly. I'm just selfishly saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But um, <laughs> basically, uh, the, the red team are uh, your pen testers. So they're the ones that are going to be testing applications, testing the network, testing opera- uh, operating systems with things like Cali, Cobalt Strike is a really popular one. So I'm going to be Rattling off a bunch of these tools, right? A Burp Suite, Um, and then you've also got red teams that do their custom stuff, and those are the ones you want to be a little afraid of. But uh, they are going to be penetration testing the network or the the application, right? Your blue team are your defenders, so they're the folks that are going to be monitoring everything. Uh, They're going to be reacting are putting in preventive measures uh, to stop those sorts of attacks from happening. And so organizations will often do what they call a red team assessment or a penetration test where they kind of test, they're testing the technical controls in the environment, but they're also testing an organization's blue team.
0: And you've mentioned too that red teams could be external red teams or they could be internal red teams, internal meaning they're part of the organization versus external. It might be a, a consulting firm that you go to and, and as an organization, you say, Hey, help us find our holes. And I remember you mentioning that typically the, the internal red teams are more scary because they understand how things work around here, right? They, they know how things are structured a lot more than, than somebody who's never seen the inner workings of it before.
1: Um, then so that, that can kind of up the ante a yeah, little bit there. That, that is definitely, um, one of my favorite things, uh, to point out, right? Is that, the blue team is is sexy and it is fun. Um, it doesn't get a whole lot of the press coverage or right mm-hmm. when you're reading on Reddit or the internet or Twitter. Um, it's just full of the red team stuff, which I'm not going to diminish that. Um, those people are amazing. And the, the work and solutions that they come up with sometimes just baffle me. Uh, but one of my favorite things about being on the blue team is that it's your turf, right? And so the environment and the network, as as you've matured in a blue team or as you've kind of been, been on that team for a while, you know it like the back of your hand, whereas a red team, especially an external red team, they're kind of coming in blind. Uh, they might get um, diagrams, but we all know those go out of... Uh, out of them real fast, right? <laughs> they might get diagrams, they might get uh, a lot of information to give them a leg up to start, but typically uh, they only have a very small picture, right? Now, the internal red team, those folks also know the turf, right? And so those are the ones that that are, are really hard uh, to defend against, but it's also a very enjoyable challenge challenge because, you know, iron sharpens <laughs> iron, right? So they're going to be helping you out.
0: Something else you mentioned, I have to, to bring this up because it popped in my head and it, it made me laugh uh, before we, we talk about the actual steps to, to follow your footsteps in terms of this <laughs> career path, which is that in some cases, especially if you know that it's a red team and not an actual attack, you might play with them a little bit. What I mean by that is, and you can describe it better than I can, but I'll set the scene <clears throat> where maybe they figure out an entry point and they might uh, get access to, to one of the servers and you you notice it, you're watching them do that. And as they do that, you might implement a security control mm-hmm. that blocks them out. And so then they might look at their, their tooling and, and so on. <laughs> can you share maybe a, an example of, of that happening uh, in your yeah, job and in yeah. your life? Um...
1: So, this, this might have been all the red team assessments kind of run together, right? But, um, once you, once you do detect them and once you detect that, or once you have determined it is a red team and not an actual attacker, you should always treat everything as an actual attacker until you're told otherwise. That is your opportunity to really take that as, uh, a learning opportunity, right? And so, what we typically would like to do is once we've identified a system that we're on or that they are on, we don't necessarily just immediately boot them out of the system. Right. We let them play on there and we use it. We watch them, we monitor and we learn their techniques. We try to remember, right. That panic that I felt in that, that first assessment, Mm -hmm. right. Well, that panic works the other way too. Um, red teams, um, or an attacker in general, right, is going to be very, they're going to be very par- paranoid, uh, when they're, when they're in the network, um, as they're poking around trying to enumerate or even compromise something. So you've got, you do have an edge. It's your turf and panic wo- works both ways. So one of the things that, that we've done in the past is use some techniques to fingerprint their tooling. Um, So if they've got a script uh, that they typically run to pop the system or if they have a script externally that they are using to enumerate, um, we'll fingerprint their tooling. And we'll put in a defensive measure that reacts based on that fingerprint, right? And maybe that reaction is blocking the IP address. It's a really simple one, right? It's a common technique. And you block that IP and you keep it blocked for maybe an hour or so, right? And what you'll <laughs> find is that they'll move their tooling and their infrastructure to a different cloud provider, right? Maybe they'll move out of AWS and go into GCP or Google Cloud, right? And then they'll, maybe they'll move it to Azure because now, now that they're in GCP, um, because they're using the same tool, you're able to detect them immediately. Right, And then you put the block in there. So now you've got two IPs blocked, right? And slowly you'll watch them burn all of their infrastructure. And before you know it, you've got this great intel list of all the IPs that they're going to typically use to attack you with. Um, and, and you start building that. But my favorite thing, absolute favorite thing, is to remove the block just randomly. <laughs> <laughs> That's just mean. (laughs) You remove the block randomly, and then you just kind of check in, you know, what are they running, what are they doing, and next thing you know, it's like, it's dissolved from this very sophisticated attack technique to check and ping, check and trace route. Like, they're just trying to figure out the connectivity issues, (laughs) and they have no idea that you're over there just, like, flipping the, the block on and off and giggling behind the screen, but... Yeah. That panic works both ways and don't, don't forget it. Don't forget it. (laughs)
0: It's it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, why is this working half the time and not working the other half of the time? I'm going crazy. Uh-huh. This is really getting on my nerves. I, I can just I can see their faces. I can imagine them trying to figure out what in the world's going on. All right, I could talk about stories all day long. I find this stuff fascinating, and and hopefully uh, the listeners also found those stories interesting. But now let's take it to the next step, which is if somebody is listening and they are getting excited hearing your stories and they want to be part of that blue team, just like you are to pursue that entry-level role, what are, in the first place, what are some of the roles they could pursue to position themselves uh, on on that same Mm -hmm. career trajectory?
1: Um, Right. There's that typical start out in the help desk, uh, start out doing sysadmin work or something like that. Um, But I, I would say that it's not required. And, and really, I do like to see candidates that have transitioned from a completely different um, domain—not even just an IT domain, but say somebody was a teacher before, right—and uh, decided to move into cybersecurity, because what you're what you're bringing to the table is a different, um, a different mindset of of just thinking right critically thinking so you you might solve problems and look at problems in a completely different way than somebody who was classically trained for lack of a better word right so i don't know if i would say i would limit it to certain roles Um, i would say what you should focus on would be growing specific skill sets uh, that would be applicable to something like a SOC analyst role or, or engineering role.
0: Yeah, SOC analyst role is definitely one that that keeps coming back up as we ask this question related to SOC, right? And so, what, what would you say are some of the skills that somebody can develop to be able to, let's say, you know, as our as in our example, get that entry level SOC analyst role, and then kind mm-hmm. of figure out what they want to do after that?
1: For me, um, I like to look for a very broad range of skill sets. Uh, you don't have to know everything at a an expert level, right? But what I'm looking for is folks that have a basic understanding of networking, a uh, basic understanding of like TCP, uh, how it kind of works under the hood, um, how it negotiates uh, what they call the three-way handshake. Uh, I'm also looking for people that maybe understand a little bit of code, right? The, Control structures like an if else or switch statements. If you're using a language that supports mm-hmm. those for loops and things like that. And then I'm looking for people that maybe have home labs or projects or people that have participated in CTFs, the capture the flag competitions, um, previously or, you know, outside of work or, or something along those lines.
0: I get that a lot, especially the, The home labs, the CTFs, just something showing that you're learning, even if it's not paid experience. Because you know, a lot of times people say, Well, I don't have the paid experience, so I keep getting rejected, or I can't get my foot in the door. What can I do Mm -hmm. to supplement that? And a lot of times what I hear from people such as yourself is, is run some of those CTFs. Just just show something that you're not just you know, watching Netflix day in and day out, you're trying to, to further your skill set. You're trying to learn to be able to, to do that job. And as a result, you have this to, to add to your resume. But I don't often hear, or not as often, I guess I should say, that certain degrees are required or a certain length of time spent in school or even sometimes, in some cases, certifications either. I mean, do you, do you put personally weight on certifications or degrees at all? Or do you just mostly yeah, you look at what you just um, mentioned?
1: I would say the college degree plays a role, but not as much as it does in other industries. Um, f- for me personally, uh, because I think somebody can definitely come in with, well, one, every degree from a, it differs from college to college, right? So you may have a bachelor of science in computer or a bachelor of science in computer engineering from one or, or one university versus another. They can be vastly different, but, and I'm not. Uh, trying to diminish getting a degree. That is definitely a really good way to get your foot into the door. Uh, and, and is exactly what I did, right? Of course. Um, and certifications are another one of those things that you'll find are hit or miss. But I would say that they are always a good thing and really help you get past the recruiters um, and, and get some of those initial interviews.
0: So it may be more of it doesn't hurt. Definitely doesn't hurt to have it. In fact, it will help to have it. But it's not a complete requirement, unless you know. In some jobs, of course, it is. They they mention that you have mm-hmm. to have X Y Z degree or, or whatever it is. But for for you personally, as you're looking at candidates, not necessarily a a big blocker.
1: Yeah. Uh, so to speak. Definitely agree. Um, okay. With certifications, one of one of the things that does concern me around those is if you do have a certification and then you are not able to apply that certification, right? Or the, the knowledge that you got from that certification into your day-to-day work. You need to be able to do that.
0: I wrote a blog post on that exact thing. And I think it's called, it's, it's a few years old now, but it's still highly relevant. If anybody's interested, called We Hire Skilled Engineers, not just paper certified ones. And I'm, I'm certified. I have certain certifications on the cloud side. But so I'm definitely not knocking that. And I think that title is a little bit provocative. But go read that. I think that's an important read that makes that distinction between just being paper certified and being paper certified, but actually understanding what that paper certification is about. And I think that's such an important part. Shifting gears just a little bit, Matt. So you mentioned home labs and CTFs as examples. You've already mentioned a few different technologies. I want to bring those back full circle for a second, because if somebody's taking notes and they're trying to figure out what to create their home labs on and what to focus on and what to build skills around... What would you be or what would you say, excuse me, are maybe the top, I'll say, five s- tools, technologies and languages that somebody listening should be focusing on right now?
1: Sure. Um, so when, you, when it comes to incident response and security operations, you've got a couple um, primary detection points, and that's going to be your network detections, which are my favorite. Right. Uh, um, I just kind of gravitate towards those you have your endpoint detections. Um, it, it basically boils down to those two. And then you've got like audit logs around applications and stuff, right? But what you can do inside a home lab is really focus on those network and endpoint detections. So for me personally, um, I would love to see somebody come in and say, hey, I built this home lab, here's this diagram, or you know, draw it out on a whiteboard for me or a piece of paper doesn't matter. Um, also, not required, but to show that they're using technologies like Zeek, um, previously known as uh, Bro IDS, or using things like Snort or Suricata, and that they've got familiarity around navigating inside Wireshark and kind of and can identify, mm. you know, this protocol inside Wireshark and kind of pull out a TCP flow for me. Um, that would be uh, impressive. And being able to, right, like going back to Snort, Siricata, and Zeke, being able to have an understanding of crawling through Zeke logs because they are very dense um, and can be hard to follow at times, that would be a cool skill set to see. And then in regards to Snort and Siricata, they have this very rich signature language. Um, just playing around with that and writing your own signatures in your home lab would be pretty cool. And all this you can do virtually, right, uh, inside like VMware, um, even Oracle, VirtualBox. So you don't need the hardware.
0: I haven't checked. Do, uh, do, do they have free tiers? Is it open source software for yeah. all of these? Or I, I could check really afterwards, but it just out of curiosity.
1: Zeek is open source, Snort. Oh, perfect. Okay. Uh, and, and Wireshark. <laughs>
0: So there you go. Free. You can use free tools for every single thing he just mentioned. So there you go. You can set up a, a home lab. Um, if you need help with that, feel free to reach out at the Cyber Discord. We'd be happy to help you set that up. I think that's such an incredible way to to, to get skill sets. And and like you mentioned too, if if you get started, you look at Z-Clogs, they're very dense. They're hard to to sift through. The fact that you're doing it, the fact that you can talk about it during the interview... I feel like that could set you apart, especially if you're sitting across Matt's desk, right? And and Matt's asking you about Zeke and you can say, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. I've played with it. I'm not an expert at it, but that's okay because this is an entry level position. I feel like that completely sets you apart from somebody who doesn't even know what that is or has never installed it. They just read blogs about it, right? So... Go go set that up. Go try it out. See if it's yeah. something that, and that one of the cool
1: things right about Zeke and Wireshark <laughs> is you can use both tools to teach yourself the other tool. So Zeek will condense down uh, network traffic into just the interesting fields, whereas Wireshark is going to just show you absolutely everything. Uh, and you can kind of bounce back and forth. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, hey, Zeek is reporting that this HTTP host header was in this connection. I'm going to go try to find it in the pcap inside Wireshark.
0: That's awesome. That's a really good tip, actually. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Your own home too. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you've also, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you also mentioned Python and we talked about automation at the very beginning. Would you say that's the, probably the strongest language to it at least would. start with um, and build a yeah, foundation
1: on? I didn't forget about that portion of the question. I'm trying to take notes as we're going here so that I don't just ramble for 30 minutes. But, um, Python, I would highly recommend. It's uh, very common in the cybersecurity space on both sides of the field, uh, red and blue, right? Uh, and I would say if you don't have experience with it, check out the Automate the Boring Stuff book. I think it's by No Starch Press. I wish I knew the author's name off the top of my head. Um, but it's a really good start to get you used to working with Python and working it, with it in a capacity that you will more than likely use in a soft type role um, where you're automate, automating those mundane and repetitive tasks that you might run into every once in a while.
0: And it's, it's such a versatile and transportable language because if you think about other industries, it's hard to think of an industry where you don't benefit from knowing some Python. You know, you're talking about big data, you're talking about fintech, all of those different industries, for the most part, could benefit from a Python skill set. So even if later down the road, you realize, maybe this is not for me. I want to check something else out. You've got a, a directly transferable skill, uh, yeah. at least if you stay in IT, that is. Um, so I, I just don't feel like you can go wrong with that. That's, that's a fantastic suggestion. So unfortunately, we're, we're getting close to the 30-minute mark. But there's one more very relevant question that I want to ask you, and that is, when I introduced you, right, I said one of the prior roles you had was at a, or as an, a web administrator for a university, I believe. And now today you're you're doing what you're doing. Can you share a little bit about your transition? How did you go from the web admin
1: to where you are today? This is something that that I look back on over the past, right, and realize how lucky and privileged I was to to be in the right place at the right time and have those kinds of opportunities. But to make a long story short, uh, I was a web administrator for the career services office at our university. Um, And so I was meeting that, that, that job entailed more than just web, web web admin, web administration. I was also sitting at the desk, you know, four or five days a week, uh, helping students, and also helping recruiters. So over the years working in that position, I actually got to meet these recruiters and build rapport with them over time so that once it was time for me to, you know, graduate and start looking at a job, I already had those connections and you don't realize how important it is to start building that professional network and start maintaining the relationships that you care about, the healthy ones, right, um, in your network. Mm-hmm. And I, I got lucky, there was a guy named, well, I think there was a guy named Tim uh, that worked for Axiom. Uh, so I transitioned from the the web administration role into Axiom, who basically uh, helped get a role established for me to transition into right out of college. And that, uh, yeah, and I am forever That's awesome. thankful for that.
0: Network and relationship building is so important. I actually just recorded another episode today. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be released before your episode or after, but regardless, try to find uh, an episode about becoming CIO if you're mid-career. And in that episode, we talk a lot about how to do that, but also why it's so important. And I know not everybody listening is necessarily good at doing that or interested in doing that. I get it. I'm an introvert. I totally understand but it's so important. It's something you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and do because it can completely change the course of your career and, frankly, the course of your life as well. And so I think that's a great note to end on. Matt, anything else you want to no, share I, I, or add really before we wrap up this?
1: this. Um, I apologize if I talked really quick at some points, but um, I had a lot of fun here no i th-
0: I think you spoke at the perfect <laughs> speed. I'm the one who typically tends to to talk way too fast for some reason. I don't know why I picked up that habit. I'm still <laughs> doing it right now as I'm speaking. It's just one of those things so uh definitely something I have to work on but if you if you enjoyed this episode and if you are looking for that kind of community where you can meet other like minded people who are mostly entry-level, but also who have been in the industry for a long time, definitely check out Cyber and specifically check out our community at the forums, but also on our Discord server. You can go to cyber.com forward slash Discord, and that's C-Y-B-R. Also, please check out the rest of our podcast and subscribe. You can do that on your favorite streamer. And if you're interested in thanking Matt for this episode, or if you'd like to connect, if you have any additional follow-up questions, Matt, how do you recommend we do that?
1: Uh... (laughs) Is that so, a tough one? Uh, my LinkedIn is uh, a good one. I'm just Matt T on it uh, in the DFW area, but I would actually prefer Twitter. Um, I am at underscore M-D as in Delta, TRO, T-R-O. Uh, I am private, so I will have to accept your friend request, but uh, I figure if I get a get an influx here, if you send me a message, let me know that you heard about me on cyber. that uh, That works for me.
0: And if he doesn't
1: add you, just let me no, know. I'll call too. him out
0: on your behalf. No, okay. I'll <laughs> bug
1: Chris. Kristoff. sorry. To
0: make sure that I am. <laughs> Bug me and I'll, I'll be sure to transfer that bugging over to Matt. Matt, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. I really appreciate you sharing the story and taking the time to do that. I, I'm per, I was personally very excited for this episode, because I already know a handful of people that are part of the the community who are going to be very interested in hearing this. And they're going to love hearing your stories. So thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. Great to meet you. Definitely. And we'll let's definitely stay takes. in touch.